Good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to see you. Um, just looking around to see who's here. <laughs> um, it's a real privilege to be with you. How are we doing for time? Are we all right? Yeah? These last few months I've been... Uh, doing my own personal devotions in the book of Isaiah and uh, I've loved it. I'm just coming to the end of it and I think I'm going to start all over again because I've enjoyed it so much. But um, in reading the commentators, they say that uh, Romans chapter 1 is to the New Testament what Isaiah chapter 1 is to the Old Testament. Romans chapter 1 is really about the descent of man into corruption and alienation from the life of God. And Isaiah chapter 1 is really about the corruption and alienation of the Old Testament people of God as they departed uh, from the Lord into their own ways. And they went down and down. <clears throat> and you know, we can apply that chapter certainly to the church today. Because largely... You don't need me to tell you the church is in decline. Radically, radically. And more than that, we can actually apply the chapter to our nation. 150 years ago, we were sending missionaries out to the four corners of the globe. <clears throat> and the then prime minister said to his fellow MPs at the start of a parliamentary session, gentlemen, let us pray. <clears throat> Even as recent as the Second World War, we had a godly king on the throne who when the, the nation was threatened before the Battle of Britain, called the nation to pray and call upon the name of the Lord. And churches were packed out with a people in great need and they came to pray and God delivered the nation. Can he do the same again? One or two things. So can he do the same again today in our day? Let me read some of chapter 1 of the book of Isaiah. You know, the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry quoted from the book of Isaiah more than any other Old Testament book. Now, he had the right and the privilege, didn't he? Because he wrote it. He authored it. But it spoke of his coming, his physical coming. It speaks of the end of the age when Christ will come in glory. 
and it speaks too of what he was doing in those days of Isaiah. The Lord Jesus, praise him. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. So let's read a good part of Isaiah chapter 1 as an introduction to what I want to say. Stick with me. I'm reading from the New King James Version. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotam, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. You know, we think often that the New Testament speaks to us about the fatherhood of God, but here we have it. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Do you get what God is saying here? When his people depart from him, they become less than brute beasts. That's how deep the corruption goes. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. You see, if we're away from God, our head is sick, our thinking is completely wrong. And the whole heart faints. We've no purpose in God. We're away from him and going our own way. So the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Can you get the pathos of God's heart here? He's looking out on his people and seeing the effects of sin. Wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Have you ever been near someone who's got gangrene? They smell. That's what our sin does to us. It utterly corrupts. There's nothing good about it. It causes us to stink But you know, in Jesus Christ, hallelujah, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 
And verse 15 says this. Let me read it to you. I won't misquote it then. For we are to God. Get this. From stinking sinners... We are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Are you in Jesus this morning? Do you smell good? Or are you of the other side? Now I've lost my place in Isaiah. (laughs) Never mind. Praise the Lord. His word is good, isn't it? Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. It is desolate as overthrown by strangers. You know, this could have been written this morning, couldn't it? Your country is desolate. We've got no money, we've got nothing. We're utterly bankrupt. You might have printed paper notes in your pocket, but they're worth nothing. Do you know that? If the government wants more money, they print more money. Strangers devour your land in your presence. Yes, we should be a sanctuary for those seeking refuge. It is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard. Get that. Just a little hut in a vast vineyard. As a hut in a garden of cucumbers as a besieged city, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant. Now, I know in the New International Version, it says something like, had left us a small number of survivors. But, you know, it's important to understand the doctrine of the remnant. In every generation, God has got a remnant of people who still trust in and honour him. Praise his name. Are you part of the remnant today? Are you? Hallelujah. Unless the Lord had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. What's he saying? There's sexual immorality universally. We would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. The sad thing to say is that our national churches of whatever denomination allow sexual immorality as the norm. 
there are, there are congregations, praise God, who don't exceed, who still believe that marriage is between a man and a woman for life. And that sexual relations belong in the union of marriage. And anything outside of that union is sin. The problem is that if you allow immorality to come in and accept it as the norm, you don't need a saviour. You don't need the cross. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice to me, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices, incense. Prayer is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. You see, he can't abide people coming in and remaining in their sin and pretending that things are all right. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am a weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. There was violence on every hand. Their hands were full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And then we come to this. After that catalogue of iniquity and offence to God. Come now. And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What a God in Jesus Christ. Come now. I think the NIV says, let's settle the matter. Let's reason together. 
often used in a court setting. Look, I've presented all the evidence to you, but let's come and reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, scarlet and crimson have to be twice dyed. In olden times, they would take the cloth and they would put it in the vats and they'd leave it there for a long time and they'd bring it out and they'd dry it and then they'd put it in the vats again and leave it there. Then they'd take it out and dry it And there you would have a scarlet garment or a crimson garment. And you could not get the color out of it, no matter what you did. You could wash it and wash it and wash it and wash it, but it would still be as scarlet or as crimson as when you first started. You see, what God is saying is, look, your sins might be of the deepest, deepest dye. But I can deal with them in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's what the cross is all about. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, snow... And wool are naturally white. You don't bleach wool to make it white. It's naturally white. Snow, it falls and it's white. And don't the trees and the hills look beautiful when they're covered and clothed in white? What God is saying is, look... I can deal with your sins. It doesn't matter how long you've been in sin, how long you might have had an issue, a sin that's mastered you. It might have been weeks, months, years, and you've sought to gain the victory, and you cannot because it's scarlet. You can't get the die out. There's one cure and you've heard about it already and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. And he can make you white, naturally white, not bleached white, naturally, supernaturally white. You remember when the Lord was transfigured on the mountain with Peter, James and John? And they saw his, I was going to say his natural being. They had a supernatural revelation. And his clothing was, (laughs) and it actually says in one of the Gospels, it was whiter than any fuller soap could make it. 
Why? Because he's permanently white. He's permanently pure. And it's that purity that he imparts to us. Hallelujah. I'm glad. Are you excited in Jesus? This is what he does for us. But you know, he not only wants to forgive your sins, he wants to feed you and nourish you. The start of the chapter, he says just that. But I want to turn over <coughs> to Isaiah 55. <coughs> and again, the, the new King James. Ho, everyone who thirsts. Hey, guys, I want to get your attention. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. I love this. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. There's that word covenant again that you've heard this morning. And if you want to read about the covenant of David, go to Psalm 89. Make a note of it and have a look at it at home. We haven't got time to look at it this morning. But come. You don't have to have the money. <laughs> come, buy and eat. You're invited to come to the waters now, <clears throat> particularly in the Middle East, in hot climes. You can't live without water. People walk around with bottles of water because they dehydrate so, so quickly. You need water to live. And what the Lord is saying is this, look, come to me. I will give you the necessities of life. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But more than this, you see what he also says, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. He's talking about abundance here. A luxurious diet, not just the basics, but the beneficent provision of the Lord himself. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. 
Are you delighting in abundance this morning? Or are you barely satisfied? Are you barely surviving from day to day? Yes, you have a relationship with God. But you know, it's uh, it's something of a distance. And you're not getting what you need to be fat and flourishing, spiritually, I mean. God desires his people to be fat and flourishing. Hallelujah. So God has provision in Jesus Christ to deal with your sins permanently. You'll always have a battle, but he'll clothe you. Oh dear, I'm losing this. he'll clothe you in his righteousness. You'll be clean. You'll be pure. But he also desires to give you nourishment, not just to survive, but to eat at his hand and be fully satisfied. Praise God. But finally, you get the comes. Come now. Let us reason together. Come to the waters. Buy and eat. I love this. Don't you? Where can you get money that will give you substance and satisfaction that's of eternal worth? Only Jesus, only Jesus, there's nobody else to go to. (laughs) I'm glad that his currency is never devalued. There's no need for him to get inflation down. Hallelujah, there's more than enough. There's a fullness of supply The sad thing is that so few of us are ready to grab what he's got and imbibe it. But it's there. It's there. Finally, there's another come. Jesus wants you to be in full union and communion with him. I'm glad about that too. <laughs> Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, it's the same God speaking who speaks in Isaiah. Lovely Jesus, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Rest. Where can you find rest? You go around the streets and you see troubled, furrowed brows everywhere. Where do you see the one that's at rest? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden 
is light. I've misquoted that now, haven't I? Silly man. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Jesus was a carpenter when he was on earth. And I wonder how many yokes he actually fashioned. (laughs) You know, they would often yoke a mature ox to a young one. And the yoke for the mature ox was wider than the yoke for the young one. So it didn't chafe the ox while it was in the yoke. And the young ox had to go at the speed that the older ox went at. Jesus has got a yoke and it's made and fashioned just for you. It's unique The yoke he's got for you won't fit anybody else. Are you in it? Are you in that union with him? Do you have that communion with him from day to day? Oh yes, there are times when he will pull you in a direction that you don't want to go. When the word comes at you and says... I don't like that. And you've got a choice. If you're in the yoke, you can drag your feet for a bit, but I can tell you from personal experience, it gets very uncomfortable. And you have to let him have full sway. But oh, the joy when he does. (laughs) Hallelujah. Do you know the greatest level of freedom is found by those who are in the yoke of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. They talk a lot about freedom today, don't they? But it ain't ain't freedom at all. It's just another type of bondage. There's only one freedom and it's found in the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it all comes through the cross. Hallelujah. So Jesus wants to forgive your sins and give you new life, give you a completely clean, wow, I can't describe it. My words are hopeless. But, you know, it's his righteousness. It's his purity. And it's imputed to us as we ask him through the cross just to wash us in his blood and cleanse us. Lord, get the dye, the deep dye of sin out of me. Let me be washed and let me walk in white. And he wants you to eat and drink and be satisfied. Hallelujah. And you don't need a penny. 
if you've got a bob or two, you can keep it. Just come to him and ask him to impart the provision of his word day by day. It's lovely when he gives you something you haven't seen before, isn't it? It's just wonderful. Hallelujah. It's by revelation, you see. He uncovers what's hidden in his word. In fact, Psalm 25 verse 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. A promise there. I meant to bring a little book with me called God's Precious Promises. And it's written by a man named Clark 200 years ago. And it's still in print today. And I've only just started to get into it. But you know, every promise in the book is true. And in Jesus Christ, we can appropriate them. We can. He loves nothing more than a child of God in need saying, Lord, this is what you've declared in your word and I'm depending upon it. I'm expecting you to deliver what you've promised. Spurgeon put a book together in his day. Checkbooks of the bank of faith. (laughs) and they were promises and they were underwritten by the Lord Jesus Christ. Read them. Thank you, Lord. That's for me. That's eating and being satisfied. So, are you eating? Are you being satisfied? But you know, God wants you in closer union with Jesus. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you got his yoke upon you? There's no better yoke to be under. Hallelujah. Let's pray for a moment, shall we?